Hello and welcome to Bombs Away, a Minnesota Twins podcast. I'm your host, CJ Baumgartner. Pitchers and catchers have reported to spring training. And as I'm recording this podcast, I believe today's the day that hitters report as well. And the first full squad workout will begin on Monday the 20th somewhere around there, and we're off into full spring workouts this coming Saturday, the 25th. The Twins have some split squad games against the Rays and the Orioles, and we're off into the full-fledged spring training. And boy, is it glad. Am I glad to have Twins baseball kind of, sort of here. There's always those moments. You're like, well, first day they report, baseball's back. And then you're like, well, not really. And then you wait another week and you're like, well, they play spring training games. Now baseball is back. And then you wait a few more weeks and then you're like, well, now once the season officially starts on Twins, baseball is actually back. And whatever, just it's fun to be talking about baseball in the middle of February. There's a giant winter storm warning across Minnesota, at least for my area right now in central Minnesota. So, you know what? I think it's okay that we start to think a little bit of baseball and maybe even wish that I could be down in Fort Myers uh, and be having fun down there with the Twins getting to play ball. And I didn't check the weather, but I assume it's like sunny in 70. But anyway, so the Twins are reporting and full squad workouts are happening tomorrow and through next week and and all the like. So I think just with this general excitement, it seems to me that there is a general excitement for Twins baseball this season. And I know there was last year, especially at the beginning with Carlos Correa coming here, but I think it was a little tempered because there was the lockout and the Twins were coming off a very disappointing year. There was a lot of new makeup and they traded Taylor Rogers right before the start of the season. So it was just kind of off. Things There were some very positive things like Correa and then there were some just things that were off like the lockout and just everything that went associated with that you kind of forgot about baseball and then all of a sudden it got thrown right back in your face and it's like hey here's baseball so they're trying to 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 care about that and to trying to to do all that stuff but now the twins have had a full off season to care and i know last season ended bitterly but and that they lost Gio Urshela, Luis Rice, some some very fan favorites on this team but there is a lot of excitement for Twins baseball. Carlos Correa coming back really flipped the script on this offseason. And you can just tell that him coming back really won the offseason for them and the fan base. I mean, I know there's always the negative Nancys on, on Facebook and, and Twitter and whatever that say, got to keep him healthy, got to do this, got to do that. But He's still here, and the Twins still have an all-star caliber shortstop. You know my thoughts on Carlos Correa. Go back and listen to, pa- listen to past episodes on Apple, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, also our YouTube page. A lot of great stuff happening on that front. And I think that there's just been a generalized excitement for the Twins because not only that, they added Christian Vasquez in the offseason. Alex Kirilov hopefully will get a lot of innings. Jose Miranda was a nice little breakout rookie, and then there's guys like Royce Lewis who are going to come back hopefully defer the second half of the season. Maybe that doesn't add to the general excitement right away, but I still think that there is a lot to be excited about for twins baseball. And here's how I think, and maybe this is a dumb way to measure it, but I think it's true. There's been a lot of good turnout for this podcast in the last few weeks, really ever since the Carlos Correa signing. I mean, just the numbers on the podcast have increased as have increased for other twins podcasts around i mean uh gleeman and the geek i think their podcast has jumped up as well and i'm I'm sure plenty of other twins related content has jumped up because 
Carlos Correa's back, and then you're just more excited. Now the next thing to do, and then they go get a starting pitcher in Pablo Lopez, and I know they traded a rise to get Lopez, but they still got a very nice starting pitcher, and who is this guy, and what can they do? And I think for as many Twins fans as there are upset, about losing a rise, there still is a lot of excitement over who is Pablo Lopez and what can he bring to the Twins. And this guy threw 180 innings last year. Can he do that for the Twins and and everything? And I also think, so my other job, I work in radio as my main job, and I was talking to the sales staff, uh, one guy on the sales staff, and he said, man, the Twins ads are selling. Like, they are just going. Like, you don't even have to walk in, and they're like, hey, I want to a business, and they are like, hey, man, I want to make sure that we are advertising for a Twins game. And they didn't have that last year, partially because the lockout. So again, there was a lot of uncertainty, but still a positive sign that people are excited about Twins baseball and about this year's Twins team. And I think that that's warranted. I think the Twins have had about as good of an offseason as you could have planned. They bolstered the starting rotation by bringing in Pablo Lopez. Kenta Maeda's coming back. So you have... That aspect. You also have catching, which you upgraded with Vasquez. Carlos Correa coming back is huge for this team. So when you add in those things, it wasn't like a. It seems a lot more busier than it was because there was the the you know adding Joey Gallo, adding Michael Taylor, adding. There's a few things that are kind of sprinkled in that process, but it's been such a a long off season. And there's been so many twists and turns that you almost forget that they re-signed Emilio Pagan. But outside of that, there have been a lot of, of, of moves that I've really liked throughout this offseason, and I think the Twins have put themselves in a really good position. I maybe thought one more reliever to throw into the bullpen mix, maybe another right-handed uh, hitter, like a true hitter. I know Michael A. Taylor's a righty, but known for his glove more than his bat, like a true right-handed power guy to kind of maybe take that first base DH spot if Gallo and or Kirilov can't quite handle that spot and you don't want to have to push Miranda over there. But that's like little nitpicks. I think re-signing Carlos Correa was objective number one and getting Pablo Lopez was objective number two. And they did both of those things. And now the Twins are set up and here we go. It's spring training time. And as of spring training and as we've been getting ready for spring training, we've been breaking down some of the position groups. We've gotten to starting pitchers. We've gotten through the relief pitchers. And then last time we talked about the first baseman and we are going to get to catcher in just a few minutes. But there's one thing that I do want to talk about first, and that are some rule changes that have gone on across baseball. So the first rule change that was enacted, I think Tuesday or Wednesday, might have been maybe Wednesday was the official day that it was announced. Uh, the new rule change in baseball, there's two of them. But the first one goes towards the, oh, we'll talk about the one with the ghost runner, the zombie runner, the extra runner, the Manfred man. There's a whole bunch of things you can call it. I just call it Little League because, be honest, it like, come on, what are we doing here? I, I think just on a pure gut level, I understand the argument for, hey, man, this like does speed up the game. It does create some urgency. Like most extra inning games don't go past 13 innings now. Like at some there's no the amount of 18 inning marathons goes down at the same time. How much were they happening that it really was a problem? And is 13 innings still ideal like as kind of that cap? I I don't know. I I get it. A team's got to win in nine innings. And if you can't win, well, then. You know, it's a toss up like you have to play more. You have to play extra. It's the whole thing of don't complain about losing in overtime 
because he should have just won in regulation. Kind of kind of deal with the extra inning rule. I get all of the arguments. And I'm not saying that they're inherently wrong. I just don't like them. I think that's where I stand on this. The extra uh, the extra inning rule with the a runner on base really screwed the Twins over in 2021. Uh, in 2020, or in 2022 rather, it didn't really Im- impact anything at all. There wasn't too much change uh, to that. But so it's a little anecdotal when people say the Twins always get gypped on the extra inning rule, partially, but you know, whatever. Everybody's got to play with that same set of circumstances. I think really my general rule is fine. You want to keep the runner on second base in the extra innings. We can do that, but give like the 10th inning. Can like the 10th inning be that spot? Can it be where we say, all right, this is a normal inning, no runners on base to start the innings. And then once you get to the 11th, then it's like, okay, we give you one more chance and now let's move on. I think that's fair because then it causes some teams to go like, okay, if we get that guy on, we really got to do something here because we want to be able to score a run and get ahead while we come up without the team having the leadoff runner in scoring position. I think that's something I'd be up for. But then again, maybe it's just a wash anyways. I don't, I don't know. I don't like the rule. I don't like it as a gut rule for major league baseball players. I get the argument of everybody likes the idea of marathon games, but nobody actually really likes to watch it. I mean, remember, everybody remembers the marathon inning game. How many innings? Um, I, I, I can't remember. How, how long was that Houston Astros, Seattle Mariner? Nothing, nothing duel and in the playoffs and there was the long home run by Jordan Alvarez to end it or one of those two things. Um, I, I don't know. I can't remember quite how long it is, but the point is uh, that it was a marathon game and it was so fun. It was so dynamic, but like, there's also a point when you get to like the 13th inning, we're like, Hey man, somebody just score. Just can we end this game? And that's a postseason game. When you get to a game in June on a Wednesday afternoon and it's getting to like 15 innings and one team's got a plane to catch and they got to go cross country to play a series the next day. I can get, I get the sentiment of, you know, guys being like, just finish the game and let's go like this, whatever. So I, I, I understand the argument for the extra inning rule staying, but I just, I personally don't like it and don't think it really enhances the product that much, but I guess it really doesn't degrade the product. Maybe as much as, you know, maybe as much as a baseball traditionalist or somebody who at least leans more into that category, like me uh, would call it. But anyway, the new, the other new rule, which I am more of a fan of is the new rule about position players pitching. So I want to make sure I get this rule right and make sure that I, I, I quote the thing properly on, uh, how it works and how everything goes. So this is according to Jesse Rogers of ESPN, which says the competition committee voted to unanimously allow position players to pitch only in extra innings in the ninth inning when a team is up by 10 or more runs or any time when the trailing team is down by eight or more. So essentially it gets rid of teams that are losing by four four runs in the eighth inning and they just throw up the white flag and say, you know what? We're going to bring in old Nick Gordon to pitch. Here comes Williams Astadio with his 64 mile an hour EFAS. Now look it position players pitching is really fun. And if you follow cut four on Twitter, 
they are really good about any time a position player shows up to pitch. There's the weird uh, characters with the parentheses and the colons, and they just got the position player pitching. And for those of you who are watching on YouTube, I'm sorry for that little dance. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's uh, it, it was a fun novelty. And it was kind of fun to see Nick Gordon and like, hey, can this guy come into pitch? Or hey, Albert Pujols is coming into pitch. Isn't this kind of funny? He's like 42 years old. Look at this old guy. Can he strike anybody out? Or you have like Freddie Freeman and Anthony Rizzo going back and forth. I mean, there are some fun things about it. But again, the novelty of it wore off really thin because teams really overused it. And that, I think, is the thing in baseball that's requiring. I don't like the league stepping in and having to meddle all the time in the rule book. I don't. I think the league should generally get a chance to police itself. But the only problem is, is that they failed at every chance to a lot of chances to police themselves when, you know, it's like, hey, guys, like we're going to pay on the shift if you don't watch out. And teams just kept shifting. And then they're like, all right, fine. Now, there's no rule in place for the new shift. And, and we'll get to that in a second. But teams could technically uh, with this new shift rule. There's no there's no rule about outfielders shifting. So you technically could only have two outfielders in their primary outfield spots. And let's say that you bring the left fielder all the way over to right field to play where that second baseman used to play in shallow right field. You could do that. But I think the league has also said, if you try it, just know that we could very easily put in a rule to stop that. So again, the the teams have policed themselves very poorly. And that's why you, like, especially with pace of play, like, come on, guys, can you speed up the game at all? And no team wants to do that. Hey, guys, could you maybe do this? Could you maybe do that? And no no teams have really been willing to do that this far, and especially with position players pitching, because since Major League Baseball is like you can only have 13 pitchers on the roster, it just means that teams are like, well, fine, we're going to lose this game anyway, so why would I bring my actual relief pitcher out here in a game we're going to lose when I could save him for tomorrow in a game we might have a chance of winning? So I'm going to bring this guy in who maybe going to get drilled for four different home runs, but you're going to lose anyway. So let's just be done with it. The only problem is, is there, remember the twins and white Sox game a couple of years ago where the twins brought in a position player to pitch and then absolutely ro got rocked. I, I can't remember if it was Ostadio. I can't remember if it was somebody else, but they brought that in. And then the twins were all like, Whoa, what do they think they're doing? Or maybe it was the other way around. Anyway, Larusa talking about pimping home runs and there was a bit of a back and forth and it's just more of like you wave the white flag. When you bring a position player into pitch, you admit that you're going to lose this game and the other team, what are they supposed to do? Bunt it. What, uh, what are they supposed to do? And then even then it'd be like, Oh, well wait a bunt in a game where you're up by a bunch or losing by a bunch. Like the unwritten rules crowd, again, doing a terrible job of policing itself, causing these rule changes. So, Position players pitching is a fun novelty, and it still is going to be around, but we're going to see it a lot less, and I think that's good over, maybe not a lot less, I don't know quite if it's going to reduce it altogether, but it's just some guard, it's some light guardrails, and I think that's fine. As much as I don't like Major League Baseball having to meddle with the product all the time, I do understand where they're coming from in some of these rules, and I might not agree with every rule change and agree with the method, but I do get the generalized point of like, you need to do something. Now, I think doing something for the sake of doing something isn't great, but it's got like, you you know, people say this all the time with anything, just do something. We just need to do something. I just need to do something to show that I care and I want it to change. 
but you actually have to have very good policies in place to actually effectuate the change you want. And who knows if some of these new rule changes are going to quite to quite get there. Like, remember when they talked about like the ball four for an intentional walk, you just hold up four fingers. There are a bunch of people who are like, this is going to really improve pace. And you have a bunch of people like baseball will never recover from this. Like, um, don't you remember the one time every, every five years when, when the ball gets to the backstop or something, I don't know, you know, the ball gets to the backstop on a intentional walk or when somebody swings at it and drills it into center field or whatever, uh, that just doesn't happen that it just doesn't happen. And really they got rid of it and nobody noticed. So again, that's the the thing with some of these rule changes. You just got to, just got to give it time because even though it didn't really change baseball, it also didn't, that's the thing. It didn't really speed anything up either. The games weren't all of a sudden getting a lot of things shaved off. So we'll see what happens. So that's our look at the rule changes. We've talked a little bit about some of the last ones. The one more thing we'll get, get to the uh, shift here. And that is basically, so it's not a shift ban as it's been explained by other people before. And I think it's a good way of saying it. it's not a shift ban, but it's more of a, a shift regulation and the shift isn't gone, but it's just very heavily restricted. So you can't bring the shortstop all the way over to second base. So basically it's split into what they call pizzas, I think, or like pieces. And they just like, this is your piece. If you're the third baseman, this is where you're allowed to go. This is where the shortstop's allowed to go. This is where the second baseman's allowed to go and whatnot. And another thing, too, is players cannot get a running start towards another one. So you can't have the shortstop theoretically be playing right up until the line where he can go. And then as soon as the pitcher starts his wind up, like start running over to shallow right field to, to play the spot that will be banned is banned. But players can still move around a little bit. It's not like they have to stay in the exact same spot right before every pitch. There is a little bit of leeway there. You're still going to see teams shifting it just won't be as aggressive as normal. So you'll still see Carlos Correa playing more towards the second base bag and then maybe more towards the uh, more towards the hole at shortstop. But teams were always doing that before, and that's baseball. So it's not like players have to keep their feet glued before the pitch, but it's just restricting the very aggressive shifts to where the third baseman is playing on the second base bag. Those kind of things with baseball. And again... I don't like, as I've said before, I don't like baseball getting their hands on everything, but at the same time, I do understand where it's coming from. And I think teams have done a really bad job of policing it because teams really do believe it gives them an advantage. And if a team believes that it's giving them an advantage, then why in the world would they stop doing it? And nobody wanted to be the one to say, well, the league really wants us to stop shifting so much. So we'll be the good soldier and do it and put ourselves in a worse position to win. Nobody's going to do that. So that's why the league had to step in. All right, well, now that we've talked about that, I think we can move on into our discussion of the first baseman, and I think we can, or the catchers, excuse me, and I think we can get into that discussion, so let's talk about the catchers. Let's take a look at them. First of all, we got Christian Vasquez, played for the Red Sox, won a World Series in 2018, then got traded over last August to the Houston Astros and won a world series with them. If you look at Christian Vasquez, he's an average hitting catcher at his peak above average, but nothing. He's not this. Oh my gosh. Like what a great hitting catcher. He's very respectable at the position, 
which again, we look at catching numbers and they're almost never good at hitting. It's why Joe Maurer being so good as a catcher was so special, but Christian Vasquez last year had 274 average, 315 on base, and a 399 slugging. So you put that together, that's what, like a 714 OPS for a catcher? Fine. You can you can live with that. Had nine home runs, 52 RBIs. If you look at his weighted runs created, plus it was a 99. And I think 100 is about league average. So again, slightly below average last season, but a fine fine hitter. Zips projects him to take a bit of a step back, so Zips is fan graphs way of uh, deciding and projecting how good a player will do in the upcoming season. They expect him to take a bit of a step back offensively, but you know, we'll kind of see because he did uh, with his numbers last year, at least in the slash line have an above average year by his hitting standards. He is a guy that uh, whiffs on a lot of pitches. So he's a guy, he swings and misses a lot. And again, just not overall, like he's not, a Mitch Garver in 2019. He's not a whatever, just that's what he's not. Adley Rushman. He's not, you know, prime Joe Maurer, but defense is the main reason that he's here. The twins signed him to a three year, $30 million contract. When you look at his pop time, it's in the 72nd percentile, which is in the, the, a very nice, respectable spot. Now, pop time is the amount of time it takes you to get out of your stance and to get into a throwing position, have that ball, get sent down to second base. So an above average spot. He's also an above average framer. You look at his defensive runs saved for last year. He had 11 defensive runs saved. Um, best framing is the upper part of the zone. Really good at bringing those high fastballs back down. Somebody like Joe Ryan, Sonny Gray could really, uh, really take advantage of that. Tyler Malley, especially some of those guys who like to throw higher in the zone in that upper third part of the plate. Uh, his best defensive attribute, though, probably is neutralizing the running game for Christian Vasquez. Um, he has a very good arm. He threw out 19 runners last season on 70 attempts, one of the most in baseball last season in terms of guys caught stealing. So Christian Vasquez, very good at doing that, one of the top guys over the last like five years in throwing guys out on the base paths. So a very effective catcher in terms of stopping the running game, which is going to be very important because of the new pitch clock rule that we talked about last week that is going to incentivize people to steal bases. And so with that going up, that's not going to mean everybody's going to be stealing bases, but the teams, again, have inclined less of stealing bases. Now there's going to be incentive to steal more bases, and the Twins are counteracting that by having Vasquez on behind the plate to catch. Uh, he's a veteran when you look at Christian Vasquez. 32 years old, eight seasons of Major League Baseball experience, two World Series rings. The biggest question for Christian Vasquez is, one, can he keep his back going at a average to above average clip for a catcher? And two, how will the running game be? But then also three is what is, the, and maybe this is the most important one, is what is that split going to look like with him and Ryan Jeffers? Because Ryan Jeffers obviously now is going to be relegated down to the 1B catching role. Now, if you look at the Twins, especially ever since Derek Falvey and Thad Levine have been in charge, like to have catcher 1A and 1B. There's no Joe Maurer to Mike Redmond. There's no like A to C minus. There's more of like a B plus to C plus kind of range. Like there is going, there's, they like to kind of go back and forth and kind of have two guys. You look at it with Jason Castro and Mitch Garver. You look at it with Mitch Garver and Ryan Jeffers. You look at it last season with Ryan Jeffers and Gary Sanchez. 
two guys who neither one really became the established starter, but both of them got a ton of time to where it really didn't matter. There was no like, I'm the bona fide starter. It was just like whoever is kind of playing better or whoever has a specific pitcher that likes to throw to them or whoever, what, you know, matchups, whatever is who's getting the ball and try as who's getting the uh, glove behind the plate that day. I think it'll be somewhere like 60, 30. I'm just kind of guessing with that, um, with what they do with Jeffers and Vasquez, but Vasquez doesn't sign this contract. And I don't know how true these reports were back in December when he was signed, but the twins don't go and sign Vasquez and Vasquez doesn't sign with the twins. If he doesn't think he's getting a majority of the starts. So it's not going to be 50, 50 thinking like 70, 30 might be where we end up seeing that, that clip, maybe, 65 35 somewhere in that range where you know they're 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 getting enough to where they're not necessarily a backup but one guy is clearly getting more starts than the other and that's obviously going to be Vasquez and Vasquez is going to want to come here to play you know the twins are giving 10 million dollars a year at age 32 for three years so I think it makes sense for both sides but for Ryan Jeffers This becomes interesting. His defensive framing abilities in the 64th percentile and a frame rate of 3.3. So again, a little bit higher than than Vasquez. Jeffers has had issues throwing out runners. That's really been the bugaboo of his career. He's only thrown out seven runners last year in 31 attempts and 22 in his entire career. And again, that's part of the reason of just the catching stance and the way the Twins have liked to uh, coach their catchers and back in the day when nobody really stole bases it was like hey man you can get especially with Mitch Garver you can get in the wonkiest position ever it doesn't matter because don't worry about not being able to pop up and throw the ball over to second base because teams aren't just going to steal we'll take our chances and that's how the twins have been doing things and now things are going to change in terms of the rule book with with uh, the pitch clock and stealing and all the rest um So it's only three seasons, though, of Jeffers. So maybe it's kind of maybe making too much on a not enough data in terms of him throwing out runners or the lack thereof. Um, He's a good framer, basically, for Jeffers, but bad in the run game. That's a good way to uh, to look at how he is as a catcher. But as a hitter, Jeffers has the ability to be a solid hitting catcher and is really one of the reasons why the Twins felt so confident in trading Mitch Garver. Because remember, the Gary Sanchez trade still didn't happen yet and really was no inclination that it was going to happen. It was kind of a last-minute deal. So Jeffers was going to be the main catcher last season, and until he got hurt and missed the entire most of the second half of last year, probably would have been the case. So... Jeffers has a guy, he's got some potential with hitting. He is in the 91 percentile in max exit velocity. His slash line 208 average, 285 on base, 363 slugging, with seven homers, 27 RBIs, and 67 games. Of course, as we talked about, injuries took that toll. Um, he hasn't really shown a track record of being a guy who can take a majority of at bats and starts as the number one catcher, but 
Remember, it took Mitch Garver a couple years to get that under his belt, made his debut in 2017, back and forth in 2018, and then 2019 is really when he flourished. Ryan Jeffers had 2020 where he had some some starts, had 2021, now 2022, while there was a lot of injuries there and a lot of stuff going wrong. So with Ryan Jeffers, I think time just probably is what needs to be on his side more than anything. He's still 25 years old, still has a lot of good pop when he's on with the bat, and I think you just need to give it maybe another year or two to let it season. Although the fact that the Twins brought in Vasquez on a three-year contract, you know, maybe they want to keep this Jeffers-Vasquez pairing, and eventually as Vasquez gets older and Jeffers get as Jeffers gets more seasoned as a pro, that maybe that that ratio starts to turn and Jeffers gets more of the starts and more of the at-bats. That could be something that happens. So that's something to watch out for really with the twins. It's those two guys. Those are your two catchers. There's a pretty considerable drop-off and also the fact that there's no other catchers on the 40 man roster. The emergency catcher is Kyle farmer. And so it'll be interesting if the twins don't actually put another catcher on the 40 man roster. When we get to opening day, I'd be fascinated if they don't, but there's more likely than not that there's going to be some guy on the 40-man roster as a third catcher in case one of them gets hurt, although maybe they're waiting to see if they go on the IL, then they do that, and then they call up a guy into the 40-man, and then they come off, and then they designate him for assignment. That could be the case, but I don't think Kyle Farmer is actually going to be catching games. I think it's more of an emergency catcher if they decide that Jeffers is going to DH and Vasquez is going to be behind the plate and one of them gets hurt or they, for whatever reason, can't use both of them or they got to substitute one out, whatever. I think that's how that would work. I don't really think Kyle Farmer is going to be getting a lot of uh, time behind the plate. Let me put it to you that way. So they have a lot of camp catchers and you want a lot of catchers in camp in spring training because you have a lot of pitchers that need to warm up and need bullpen sessions. And Christian Vasquez can't catch everybody all day long. So that's why they got him. They have Grayson Griner, guy who's 30 years old, some major league baseball experience, nothing really doing. Chance Cisco, more of the same, a career 197 hitter. Don't believe he had a ton of uh, at-bats, if any, at the big league level, but played a lot in St. Paul last year. Tony Walters, seven-year veteran, a left-handed hitting bat. Those are your catching options for the twins in terms of your backups, your third catchers, your, Hey, if one of these guys goes on the IL, the, this would probably be the guy that gets the big league call up to sit on the bench for 10 days and then go back down. So let's look down the pipe and see who the twins have in the prospect system. Uh, Ricardo Olivar, 21 years old in single a absolutely mashed the ball last year, 341 average 433 on base 580 slugging between single a and rookie ball very low minors so take these numbers with a grain of salt it's not he's got a long way to go to get to the major leagues but it's a very nice sign probably about three years away if we're talking when he could actually get to the big leagues three or four before we really start to seriously consider ricardo olivar as a twins catcher Uh, but Weirder things can happen. Maybe he gets to start in a, in high A and keeps mashing and gets to double A. Then if he gets to double A at 22 and keeps going, then triple A by 23. And then we can kind of piece our way together from there. But 21 years old, still a couple more seasons to really cook and develop in the minor leagues. Chris Williams, 26 years old as a catcher. 
Uh, last year in double A and triple A, he combined for a 246 average, 343 on base, and a 500 slugging. 28 home runs, 89 RBIs, and 117 games between those two minor leagues. Uh, does it mean, I mean, he's 26 years old, had some good numbers in the high minors. Does it mean that he's going to make his big league debut this year? Maybe, but it's not like he's going to come in and then ex- and then start competing for a starting spot. I mean, you have to play very, very, very well to beat out Jeffers or Vasquez. For sure, Vasquez. But Jeffers, the Twins have put a lot of faith in him over the last couple of years that I don't think they're ready to quite ditch Ryan Jeffers as a prospect and his potential big leaguer quite yet. But Chris Williams is a guy that could come in and maybe make his big league debut and play well in spurts, and we'll see what happens. But I think the fact that the Twins brought in Vasquez means that they don't really have a ton of faith in the catchers that they have in the high minors to come in and be legitimate Major League Baseball starters, which is good. The Twins then brought in a free agent in Vasquez and are paying him $10 million a year. So good transaction, good way to read the minors, really lets those guys earn their keep. And if they really are good players, they have to prove it and beat out some established good veterans. Um, Alex Isola. The last catcher we have on this list here, 61 games in Wichita last season, hit 286 average, 377 on base, 477 slugging with 10 home runs, but not any uh, high minors experience. So double A, that's all he's got. And again, it was only 61 games. Righty, he's 24 years old, had some injury concerns last year. So doesn't necessarily mean that he's on his way more time will tell he's more like Oliver where it's going to take a few more years for him to fully get through the minor leagues and fully fledge himself out flesh himself out and and see if he can become a worthwhile prospect so that's all we have in the catching department that one's pretty quick because you really only use one catcher maybe two and there's really not a lot of room for depth there teams only have two of them but like the quarterbacks they're just positions where you don't really mess around with it too much. You don't throw a ton of guys in there. It's not like a corner outfield, whatever. Those are the guys the Twins have at catcher. We talked a little bit about the rule changes, and we talked about the Twins' optimism heading into spring training. If you missed any of our previous podcasts, again, go check them out. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Bombs Away, a Minnesota Twins podcast. I'm CJ Baumgartner and look forward to the next podcast where we'll be breaking down second baseman and going through that whole list. And you guys like Jorge Polanco, Brooks Lee, Royce Lewis, Austin Martin. There's a whole long line of guys to talk about. And this is where it really gets fascinating now from here on in when you have shortstop pretty settled, but second base, third base, corner outfield, center field pretty much settled. So there's a lot of things we can still talk about with the Twins as Major League Baseball opening day is, what, about 40 days away, 40 or less. So let's do this thing. This has been Bombs Away. Thanks for listening.